get together on Wednesday night, the date night, and I was so proud of our dads this past Wednesday night. Some of you guys cleaned up very well. Uh, I mean, some of you big, burly, you know, gnarly men, that manly men who, you know, take a bath once a week and don't believe in deodorant and stuff like that. You cleaned up good. And boy, you look good for our daughters in there. And I think we had 58 total in there, dads and daughters included. And Miss Rachel and her team worked so hard to put that together. And just so excited about our dads and the love they have for our daughters and investing in our daughters. You can't replace that. You can't replace a dad in the life of a daughter, and I appreciate all of our dads coming out Wednesday night. had a good time with that, and uh, boy, I tell you, I had a a good day yesterday, the Lighthouse Couples Fellowship there out on the lake, and enjoyed that, and got to go to my first USM game yesterday, excited about that, and I was so excited to hear uh, or to see that none of our folks were in the beer line. They tell me that yesterday they started serving beer for the first time at the stadium. I guess that... uh, I guess folks are uh, more inclined to hang around or something when they're inebriated. And so uh, I'm walking through there, and I was so excited. We got up to our seats that I didn't see any of our people there in line. And that's always a blessing for a pastor. But just had a good time yesterday in fellowship. And isn't it good that God's people can fellowship together through the common bond we have through the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad? We had good fellowship yesterday, and it's good to know that we'll have eternity fellowship, eternity to fellowship together, and I look forward to that. I don't know if you know by now, Brother Michael and Miss Evelyn are officially married. Amen. No going back now. He's done, uh, he's done stepped in it now for real, and you pray for them as they'll be traveling back here soon, and look forward to having them back here with us. And I did want to mention a couple of things to you before we get to the message. If you want to be turning there, Daniel chapter 5 is where we'll be at today. Daniel chapter 5, but today is the start day of Nashville Baptist Church. This is Brother Gideon Jacob, you know, one of our members here at our church, his family, they're missionaries. Uh, We support them out of our church here, and today is the start day for Nashville Baptist Church up in Nashville, so I want you to be in prayer for the Jacob family as uh, they'll be ministering up there. I told Brother Gideon this morning that we're praying for them, so in just a moment, we'll pray for Nashville Baptist Church, a central Baptist church. Last week, we uh, launched out on a venture to help plant Jackson Road Baptist Church uh, up in Union, Mississippi, so we're excited to have a part in that. And isn't it wonderful that God could use our church to help plant other churches and support churches that are being planted even outside of the state of Mississippi? A couple of prayer requests. I don't usually give you a lot of those on Sunday morning. Uh, There's some very important needs here in our our church. Uh, Most of you know by now, Brother Daryl Bell's mother uh, went home to be with the Lord yesterday afternoon, and we want to remember them uh, this morning as they prepare for her memorial service. A wonderful testimony of salvation. She's with the Lord today, but pray for the family as they'll be grieving as they prepare for uh, the funeral. And also, I was given a request for Brother Lapone last night, a very important one, that Ernie Easterling, a friend of theirs, was in a a horrific tractor accident and is going into surgery this morning. Uh, if doctors are correct, he'll never walk again. He's in his early 40s and has a family. And we're just going to pray this morning during our time of asking the Lord to bless the message that he would work on behalf of all of these needs this morning. I'm glad. I serve a miracle-making God. He can take care of this. And so we're going to ask God to work on behalf of these this morning. Let's stand together. Daniel chapter 5. We'll read a few verses and then we'll pray and then be seated. Daniel chapter 5, I'm going to pick up in verse number 1, the story of Belshazzar, and a very exciting story, and we'll talk a bit more about it in detail, but let's go ahead and read in verse number 1. The Bible says, Daniel 5, 1, Belshazzar, the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords, and drank wine before the thousand. 
Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. So they did that in verse 3 and verse number 4. Verse number 5, the Bible says this, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, that the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. It goes on to tell us that the writing on the wall needed interpretation, and Belshazzar called in his best men, and they could not do it. And finally, we read down in verse number 17 that Daniel is called in to give an interpretation of what's going on. And the Bible says in verse number 25, and this is the writing that was written, Mini, Mini, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Imagine how the king would feel hearing this. Verse 27, Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You look down in verse number 30, the last verse, the Bible says, In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Now let's pray and let's ask God to give us what we need today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving this account for us to learn, to glean from. And Father, I pray we would take heed to it. Lord, I pray we would read these words and listen to the preaching this morning, Lord, as was sung, not as a fairy tale or just words on a page, but, uh, Father, your written and preserved and errant word that, Father, you'd have us to learn from today. I pray, number one, that there's one lost here today. They would be convicted by your Holy Spirit to know that, Father, that without Christ, hell is their eternal home. But, Father, heaven could be if they would trust you as Savior. Lord, I pray for the saved this morning that we'd not hesitate to do your will in this invitation, and we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The event that we just read about is probably one of the most amazing events uh, that you read about in Scripture, and I'll give you some background to kind of bring that to light here in just a moment. I've always thought that Daniel chapter 5 would make a great movie. You ever read down through it and what's happening and the history of what is going on here? It's filled with action and adventure, and the plot line is out of this world of how God is about to work in the life of Belshazzar. And I, I was thinking about it this morning. I've wondered why Hollywood hasn't taken this and turned it into a movie because it would be a great movie. And then it dawned on me that in order for them to make a movie out of it, they'd have to read the Bible. And therefore, that's probably why it has not been made into a movie just yet. But we're, we're reading about the kingdom of Babylon. And this kingdom of Babylon was magnificent, and you do some historical studies on it. Herodotus does a lot of writing on it and describes just how grand this city was. And they've excavated parts of the city of, of Babylon, and the walls around it were somewhere around 50 miles around the walls. And then inside of the walls, it was a triple thick wall. They had a great thick wall, one layer, two layers here, and then several hundred yards, they had another uh, layer of wall. That was the third. I'm clicking up here, guys, and I'm messing with this somehow. Did I mess something up? I hear a clicking. That may be my bones. I am getting closer to 40. I don't know. We'll see what that is uh, going on uh, there. But at the city of Babylon, it was magnificent. 
Magnificent. They've excavated several of the, uh, the places along the city, and they've recovered some of the, the tiles, and it was just beautiful glazed tiles. And uh, the, the, the river Euphrates ran right through the middle of the city of Babylon. I have a picture of it for you. I'll show you an artist's rendition of this, uh, where the, the river Euphrates ran right in the middle of the city. Now, here's what's important. That's about to drive me nuts. Is it driving you nuts as much as it is me? We may have to get a hand mic here in just a few minutes. The river Euphrates ran right through the middle of the city, so they never lacked for water. They had all of the water they needed to drink, and because they had water, they were able to irrigate the crops of the city. And so if the city was ever besieged, they could last over a decade without leaving the city. They've excavated some of the, 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 the clay tiles and the porcelain tiles that were used in the city, and there were over 50 gates that led into the city of Babylon, and, uh, and one of the German museums has reconstructed the Ishtar Gate from one of the, the gates of the city. That's a picture of it, uh, and over one of the museums in Germany, that's the Ishtar Gate, and there were 50 of those that led into the city of Babylon. The wall was 80 feet thick, and in some places, history records the wall was over 200 feet tall. What a magnificent, magnificent city. When you looked inside of this city, there were the famous wonders of the world, one of the wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Just beautiful, beautiful city, and it was full of all types of different gods. There were pantheons built for uh, the god Marduk and the gods of fertility and the gods of iron and gold and silver. We'll see about that in just a moment. But the city really lived for excess. The city enjoyed the biggest and the best. They were impenetrable. You could not get in there. And anytime there was a war, they would just close their gates and close their doors, and you couldn't get to them because they had plenty of food and plenty of water. But there was a problem. There was a king, a Persian king by the name of Cyrus, and Cyrus was on a mad tear and conquering cities and conquering uh, nations, and he comes to Babylon to fight them, and Belshazzar goes out to meet him in battle. When Belshazzar goes out to fight him, he's quickly defeated and turned back, and Belshazzar decides, well, I'm just going to go inside the walls and lock the doors. I mean, when you live in a place like Babylon, I mean, you can't get in there. Just go in, lock the doors, and have a good old time. But Belshazzar miscalculated Cyrus. Cyrus decided he was not going to go home with his tail tucked between his legs, and he decided to figure out a way to get into Babylon. And Belshazzar was so sure of himself and so sure of his defenses that he begins to throw a feast. And he's just enjoying himself in chapter 5, verse 1. Notice what it says. King made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. So here's what's happening here. Belshazzar is throwing a feast and having a party, living it up because he thinks that there's no way that Cyrus can reach him. What he doesn't know is why he's, while he's living it up and while he is enjoying the splendors of Babylon, Cyrus has found a weakness in Babylon. I'll show you a picture of a basic idea of what Babylon looked like. The river Euphrates ran right down the middle of Babylon. That's what supplied their water, their irrigation. That's why they could survive so long uh, if there was a siege. And Cyrus began to look at that river that ran underneath the wall. Now, they had large bronze gates that came down, and they, they blocked the river where you couldn't just walk through there. But because of the festivities that were going on and because of the melee that they were enjoying on the inside, they forgot to bring down the bronze gates. Cyrus says the only way that we can get in is to divert the river. And so Cyrus has his men's go out, men go out, and they dig trenches 
all on the outside of the Euphrates River. And slowly but surely, they dig a trench that's deep enough to divert the entire Euphrates River to lower the water level. They came and they stacked up palm tree root mass to block the river and divert it to the canals. And because they were having such a good time living it up on the inside of Babylon, no one noticed the water level beginning to drop. The order was given. Cyrus realized that he could get his men underneath the wall. They marched into Babylon. And Herodotus tells us in history that half of the city was taken before the other half of the city realized they were even there. Verse 30 says, And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. So what are we looking at here this morning? Belshazzar was willing to try to wait out a war, but the problem was the war was not going to wait on Belshazzar. Belshazzar thought that he could ignore the enemy that was right outside of his gates. Granted, he was there, we're estimating, two years. When Cyrus first came to Belshazzar and he was turned back, Cyrus didn't leave. He began to develop a plan on how he could take Babylon. And even though Belshazzar thought he was going to be saved, Cyrus was slowly digging his way into the kingdom of Babylon. And it would fall. So this morning I want you to see there's an example in chapter number 5 of how none of us can afford to ignore the enemies that are at our gates. None of us can. The great and mighty empire of Babylon, the, the, the regal king of Belshazzar thought that he could ignore the enemy that he knew was at his gate. Now understand this this morning. He knew he was there. It's not like Cyrus had a sneak attack on Babylon. Cyrus was there for two years camping outside of his city. Belshazzar knew he was there but chose to ignore him and he paid with his life. Now, here's what we need to understand this morning. All of us have enemies. All of us have Cyruses in our life that are seeking to destroy us. If you so choose this morning to ignore them, I fear your fate will follow that of Belshazzar. Perhaps this morning, the enemy that you're trying to ignore is closer than you think. As Belshazzar lives it up, I mean, verse, at verse 1 and verse number 2, they are having a blast. They're living it up. They're throwing a feast, throwing a party. I mean, there's no way that they're going to fall. And that very night, Belshazzar would lose his life. Little did Belshazzar know it, but he was on the doorsteps of disaster. The doorsteps of disaster. And this morning, that's what I want to preach on for a few minutes. I believe you'll see some warning signs in chapter number 5 that would help you to understand how Belshazzar got there. And this morning as we look at these warning signs, I believe that God, listen close, might help us understand that some of these signs are in our lives today. We may think we're okay, we may think we're fine, and we may think we're going to just keep living like we're living. And you have no idea, you are on the doorstep of destruction this morning. We're going to look at three things that I believe are warning signs to help us know that we're there. So notice verse number four, or verse two, I'm sorry. The Bible says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. 
that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. So here's what's happening here. When Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews captive, he went into the temple and took out all of the priceless uh, the, the utensils of the temple. I've looked at some pictures of what they looked like, and they were gorgeous. There was gold and silver pitchers and ladles and all of these things that God commanded to be made in the service of the temple. As a matter of fact, this will give you goosebumps. The Temple Institute in Jerusalem right now has already remade the temple instruments for the third temple. They're already made, and they're waiting on the arrival of Christ. You can go online and see pictures of them. They're already made, they're already sitting there, and they're, they're beautiful utensils. And so when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the temple, he brought all of those things out with him. And he stored them up. Well, as Belshazzar just living it up, having a drunken feast, he decides, you know what I want to do? I want to go get all of those vessels from their temple, and we're going to drink out of them. He took what God called holy and defiled them as simple household vessels. Like getting a cup out of the cabinet, he is defiling the holy things of God. The first sign this morning that I want you to see that helps us to know whether we're on the doorstep of destruction, number one, it begins with a disregard of God. It begins with a disregard of God. Belshazzar's indifference towards God would help usher in his defeat. Belshazzar's nonchalant attitude about the one true and living God would ultimately be one of the things that brought him down. Now, folks, God preserved Daniel chapter 5 in the account of Belshazzar that we might read this this morning and realize that when we have indifference to God, when we could care less about the things of God, you're on the doorstep of destruction. Belshazzar said it's no big deal. I know that they say this is their God, but I don't believe in their God, and I don't heed their God. Therefore, I'm going to take their God's things, and we're going to have a party with God's thing. Imagine using the holy utensils of God as party favors. That's exactly what he's doing. Can I tell you this morning, more times than not, and more times than you may realize, we disregard God in our own lives. So what do you mean? Well, we come to a church service, or we sit and we read the Bible, or, or maybe the Holy Spirit of God just speaks to our heart. And we don't have time for that right now. You know, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to be obedient to what thus saith the Lord. That's disregarding God. Understand, folks, when the Holy Spirit of God comes and knocks on our heart's door and draws us to Him, we must understand that when we choose not to respond, we are disregarding God. We're waving him off. Every once in a while, I'll be on the phone. Not every once in a while. A lot of once in a while, I'm on the phone. And somebody will come up and be talking, and my daughter will walk in. If it's my daughter, I hate to say it, but sometimes I'm not as kind to my own family. You ever be that way? I hate to say it. Sometimes, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know. If it's one of you and you walk in the door, I just, you know. But if it's like, you know, get out of here. I'm on the phone right now. That's disregarding, not right now. I don't want to hear it right now. I don't want to talk right now. This is what we do to God. We disregard God. Not a big deal. Listen, if the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you and speaks to your heart and speaks to you through his word, understand that's something to sit up for. That's something to pay attention to. That's not something worth disregarding. But understand, when you start disregarding God, not right now. I don't have time for God in my life right now. Right now I'm making the big money. 
I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be faithful right now. I don't have time to, to heed the word of God right now. You're disregarding God, and you're on the doorsteps of destruction. You don't see God as a big deal. This is what Belshazzar's going through. There's a term that you'll find in your Bible mentioned over and over again. It's a, a phrase, really, if you will. And it's the phrase of take heed. Take heed. Take heed. Notice it says heed, not hear. A lot of times we take hear of the word of God, but we don't take heed of the word of God. What's the difference? The word take heed means to bring it close. It means to take hold of it and apply it to our lives. Look, Belshazzar was not taking heed. He was pushing God away. And understand, the more you push God away, the closer you're becoming to destruction. I think about Jeremiah chapter 6. I'm going to read it for you right quick. Jeremiah chapter 6, Brother Richard and I were talking about this verse yesterday. Listen close what the Bible says in verse 15. The Bible says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? God's asking about his own people. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Listen close. Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Do you know what it means to blush? I'm not talking about you girls, you know, when all these guys look at you. You know, you kind of, oh, you know. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being ashamed. You know, used to, you'd hear a, a cuss word, somebody said it in public, people would blush, people would grimace, people would, oh. Now we don't even blush anymore. Why? Because we've disregarded God so long, it's no longer a big deal. Verse 13 says this, or verse 15 says this, neither could they blush, therefore they shall fall among them that fall. Notice they disregarded God. They kept disregarding God and kept pushing God away. And finally they got to the place where they couldn't even blush anymore. Nothing made them blush. Nothing made them ashamed. And the Bible says that they will fall. I've watched a pattern through the years in ministry. People begin to disregard God. They get to the place where God can't phase them anymore. You know, there's a time in all of our lives where we have felt conviction. Every person here today has had a time in their life where the Holy Spirit of God or He will stir our hearts through conviction. But you keep disregarding God and pushing God away. After a while, it will be easier to push Him away. After a while, you'll no longer hear him calling anymore, and then you're on your way to following the path of Belshazzar to where you're indifferent to the things of God and to the voice of God. I, I hate counseling in one respect this morning when you have folks come to the altar and they have difficult things to talk about. And there are husbands and wives. I've said in offices before, husbands and wives, and they have to confess things one to another, and it's just tears, and it is just heartbreak. I've sat in there with teenagers and moms and dads, and they have to, to get things right with mom and dad, and they're confessing things, and it's heartbreaking to watch the tears flow, and it's heartbreaking to watch all the remorse. But I want you to know, if there's remorse and there's tears, there's hope. The scary place is when there's no tears and there's no remorse. You know, what you've hap you know what's happened? You've become indifferent. You've disregarded God. Can I tell you this morning that effortless disregard of God places you on the doorstep of destruction? I mean, can I ask you a question this morning? How easy is it for you to tell God no? How easy is it? The Holy Spirit of God convicts you about something. The Holy Spirit of God stirs your heart. By the way, he does it because he loves you. 
That's why he's convicting us. He wants us to be better than we already are. He's a father that loves his children. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us and gives us a little nudge from time to time. How easy is it for you to tell God no? If it's getting really easy, you're getting close to the doorstep of destruction. We see this in the life of Cain to where he knew what God wanted because the sacrifice, he had been taught that from a child. Because we see it in Abel's life. Abel knew what God wanted, so we know that Cain knew what God wanted. And Cain brings the vegetables instead of the lamb that would point to Christ. God looks at Cain and he says, I'm not going to accept that. God gives him another chance. Boy, aren't you glad for the mercy and grace of God. <clears throat> if I was God, I probably would have just zapped him right there. I mean, I'm just thankful God did not give me the power of throwing lightning bolts. <clears throat> Some of you would not be here today. No, but I probably... That's what I would have done. But no, listen, listen. God gave him another chance. And here's what he says. Look, you know what I want. If you just give me what I want and be obedient to what I said and what I'm trying to direct you in, all will be fine. But here's what he says. If you don't, the Bible says sin lieth at the door. What does that mean? It means there's destruction on Cain's doorstep. Folks, Belshazzar thought that he could avoid and he could snub God and disregard God and get away with it, but he's about to move into the final stage of rebellion. The cycle that I have seen throughout the years of ministry simply goes like this. God comes to us through his word, through the preaching of his word, or through his Holy Spirit. And he speaks to us. Aren't you glad? And through that speaking to us, God is trying to give us direction. Now understand that when God tries to give you direction, it's always in a good direction. All right? God's not here to fool us. God's not here uh, to ruin our life. He really wants to give us a life. And so God comes to us and he gives us direction. But here's what will happen. When God comes to us with truth, we can either accept it as direction or we get defensive. Every person today, listen, you'll hear from God. He's going to speak to your heart through his word, through the preaching, or his Holy Spirit. And you're going to have to decide, are you going to take direction from what God said, or are you going to get defensive to what God said? One of two things is going to happen today, in just a few minutes. Look, I'm not preaching this afternoon, so i got to go ahead and get it all in in one shot, okay? You're either going to accept the truth of God as direction or you're going to get defensive to it, one or the other. Now, if you choose to get defensive to it, here's what's going to happen. As soon as you get defensive, what you're doing is you're telling God, no, I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. You're disregarding God. Before long, you become defiant. And then you get destroyed. We see this all throughout Scripture. Luke chapter 22, real quickly for the sake of time, I will give you this. Luke chapter 22, Jesus says to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Can I tell you, Jesus didn't have to tell him that. But he wanted to give him direction. What does Peter do in Luke 22, 31? Well, verse 32, he says, I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with, I'll go with you anywhere. He gets defensive. Rather than taking the direction from Christ, he got defensive toward Christ. Don't tell me he's not getting defensive. Uh-uh, I'm going to do this. Listen, when Christ tells you something, go ahead and write it down, okay? There's no reason to get defensive because he knows what he's talking about. We keep reading. Verse 32, he gets defensive. Verse number 57, you're reading the rest of the story. Someone asks him, weren't you one of his followers? And he denies it. 
Watch close. He didn't take the direction. He got defensive. Now he goes into denial. He's asked again the second time. He's asked the third time in verse number 59. Now he has become defiant. Then he says, I'm sure you were one of them. And the Bible says one of the other gospels that he cussed her. So he did not take the direction. He got defensive. And then he denied Christ. And now, what is he doing? He's becoming defiant. Verse number 60 in Luke chapter 22, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Do you know what that is? That's disaster. You see the progress. When we don't take the instruction of God, we get defensive of it. You're going to disregard God. You're going to deny him. Then you'll become defiant, and then you'll be destroyed. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31, the Bible tells us about King Ahab. The Bible says this, and it came to pass, as it had been a light thing, that he walked in the sins of Jeroboam. Ahab would marry Jezebel, oh, my soul. Uh, I mean, we've, we've seen a few of those in the White House here in America. Ahab, the Bible says, it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. What happened? He disregarded God. It became a light thing for him to dishonor God. I fear this morning that oftentimes we come to the doorstep of destruction because it all started with us disregarding God. It's not a big deal. This is just the the, the vessels from the temple of God. But let's keep reading quickly. Look at verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall. Some of you did not know the term writing on the wall came from Scripture, but it did. There it is. The Bible says in verse 6, then the king's countenance was changed. I bet it was. His thoughts were troubled him so that the joints uh, of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I want you to notice the mood change all of a sudden. He's having a good old party. He's living it up. He's doing what he's want. He's disregarding God and he thinks he's getting away with it. But the Bible says this hand begins writing on the plaster of the wall. But here's the sad thing. The Bible says in verse number 6, his countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him, and his knees began to knock together in verse number 6. Oh, now he's concerned. Here's the problem. The second thing I want you to see that leads us to the doorstep of destruction is the delay of concern. The delay of the concern. Folks, this is important to understand this morning. Belshazzar knew that Cyrus was outside of his wall, but he chose to ignore him. I don't have to worry about that guy. Uh, He's not going to bother me. I'm Belshazzar, and this is Babylon. Can I tell you this morning that a sure sign that you're destined for defeat is when you delay the concern and start overlooking your enemies. That's exactly what he did. I was thinking about the other night. I told Brother Brandon, I may pick on him this morning in service. I apologize for that ahead of time. I pulled up to Brother Brent's house to have some coffee with them and some brownies at their house, and... By the way, that's one sure way to get me to come by your house. You cook some brownies and you have coffee and I'll come over. Pulled up to the driveway and we get in the, the, the driveway there. His house right by his garage. I look up and here comes a man with a headlight and a gun walking toward my car. I thought to myself, well, here it is. He just called me over here to knock me off. You know, four months, four months, you know. Ah, this ain't working out too well. We're just going to get rid of him and start over. You know, it's a whole lot easier just to shoot him uh, than, than, you know, to have to vote him out. So, you know, I just thought it was over. And I look up, it's Brother Brandon. He's coming out. He's got a BB gun in his hand. I thought, well, you know, BB gun, I could probably 
I said, take, take a few of those shots, you know, before he gets me in. I asked him, I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, there's a possum out there uh, at our chicken coop. It's kind of eating our feed and, you know, eating chickens and whatnot. And, man, he was heading out there to take care of that possum. Death by 100 BBs, you know. That's going get, to get him, take care of him. And I was thinking about that this morning of how as soon as he learned the threat was there, Brother Brandon went to intercept the threat. He wasn't going to tolerate it. It was there. Folks, can I tell you, more often than not, we know there's a threat outside the wall. We know we have problems and things we have not dealt with in our life, and we just keep avoiding it, thinking it'll go away. Can I tell you something? The delay of your concern to the enemies that you're overlooking in your life is going to bring you to the doorstep of destruction. Belshazzar would find that out the hard way. By the way, can I tell you this this morning? This is why preachers preach against sin. Look, you can go find your church. There's plenty of them all over this country. Well, they're going to always preach on grace, and I love grace and joy. I love joy and victory. I love that, and I love the blessings of God. But can I tell you, sin can take all of that away. That's why we've got to have churches in America. That's why we've got to have this church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where somebody is not afraid to teach in our Sunday school and to preach in our pulpit against sin because sin will come underneath the wall and overthrow all that you hold dear. Now, look, I know some folks think I'm mean, and I know some folks think, you know what, you're always being mean. No, if I'm mean and I point out sin that the Bible calls sin, I'm not doing it because I don't like you. I'm doing it because I love you. Because sin will come underneath the wall. Sin will overthrow all that you have. Inside of Babylon was the hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was cast down. It was broken down. And now there's just ruins that they're excavating there. Do you know why? Because sin came underneath the wall. Why? Because Belshazzar delayed his concern. You see, the problem with Belshazzar is he got concerned, but he got concerned too late. Is that not the Baptist church in America? We are very good at reacting Why don't we decide we're going to act against sin rather than react against the effects of sin? Folks, Belshazzar's worried. Look at him in verse 5. That his countenance was changed, the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number number uh, 6 that his knees smote against one another. I want to tell you, I've never been that scared before. Or my knees, no, no, I've been scared a few times. Every once in a while, I let my wife drive and... um, Get close to God again. If I feel like I'm starting to drift, boy, I just got the eye from the pulpit. You can't give your husband the eye from the, from the way he's in the pulpit. You can't do that. The Lord's on my side. What shall I fear? What can man or woman do unto me? Amen? Amen, Brother Jim. Listen, I've never been that scared before. Where your knees start knocking together. His knees are knocking. Why? Because he's about to be overthrown. Why? Because he's delayed his concern. Matthew chapter 24, I'll read something for you right quick. You can write it down. I'll read it for you. Listen close. What the Bible says about some of our ancestors of the faith. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 37, the Bible says, But as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen to verse 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, that's before the disaster, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Listen to the next few words. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. Verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. What is the Bible telling us about the world that would be destroyed by the flood? 
Can I tell you when the doors of the ark closed, when God closed the doors of the ark and the rain began to fall, I'll promise you every living inhabitant on planet earth got concerned. But they had delayed their concern too long. Listen to me this morning, folks. We've got to understand that every one of us will one day be concerned about how we're living right now. One day you will be worried. One day your countenance will be changed. One day, listen, your thoughts will be changed. One day your knees will knock at the way you're living right now. The only question we have to answer is this. When are you going to get concerned? Because Belshazzar waited just a little bit too late to be worried about it. There have been times I've sat in my office and spoke with folks who had a tremendous rebellious spirit. Total waste of time. I'm going to go home and be with my wife and daughter. I'm going to sit there with somebody who has a rebellious spirit. Not now, not now. They're not worried. You can't convince me now. Folks walk out of these doors every Sunday. Not now, not now, not now. And we're delaying our concern. As I sit there in that office listening to people who are defending their sin... Here's what I wonder. I wonder what their writing on the wall will be. I wonder what it's going to take for them to finally, verse 6, change their countenance. You know what countenance is? It's attitude. Their attitude changes. Why? Because there's writing on the wall. Belshazzar would delay it. But can I tell you what Cyrus was doing while Belshazzar was delaying his concern? He was steadily digging. I'm sure Cyrus is over here digging this ditch and he hears the party going on in the gates. He's like, drink it up. Belshazzar, drink it up. I mean, verse number two, he's getting sauced. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, he's feeling it so much. He says, hey, go get the vessels of silver and gold and bring them in here and we're just going to live it up right. And I think Cyrus is listening to all of that as he digs his canal. He's just steadily digging. Now listen to me this morning. A lot of us know that Cyrus is outside the wall. A lot of us know who Cyrus is. Remember, Cyrus already whooped up on Belshazzar one time. He knew who he was. Have you ever been whooped up by Cyrus? And now you're just trying to avoid him. Rather than deal with Cyrus, you're going to avoid him. No, Cyrus is steadily digging underneath your wall. You better get concerned about Cyrus before Cyrus makes underneath the wall or verse number 30 will be yours. And that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. The Bible tells us in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15, take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. What is it saying? In, in this area... Over the Middle East, there's lots of foxes in the fields, and those foxes come along to the vines where the grapes are at, and they nibble on the vines and gnaw on the vines, and they gnaw on the grapes. The Bible says, take away the the little foxes. We think, you know, Cyrus, just a little old King Cyrus, what can he do? He can dig a canal and come under your wall and overthrow your kingdom. I was thinking this uh, this morning, I was in my office Years ago, my wife and I, when we first got married, we decided we were going to be some of those self-sufficient people that grow our own vegetables, can our own stuff, and shoot our own animals for food, and save a lot of money so we can go to Disney World, you know? It's sad when you go cut paper wood to go to Disney World, but I've done it. I've done it, amen? And I was thinking about it, we had a, outside the back door, we had a, a little, a, 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 what was it called, a raised garden, what they call those, raised garden, you know? And we had uh, tomato plants in them. 
Man, I was growing those things and watering them and miracle growing. I'm going to grow these tomatoes. We're going to have homemade salsa and homemade spaghetti sauce and all of this stuff and have all of this money so we can save and go to Disney World. One morning, I walked out the back door and my tomato plant, kind of like the top of my head, just all the foliage was gone. It was just twigs. And I got to looking on that thing and there was this big, fat, green tomato worm. Here's what he did. Not only did he eat all of my leaves, but he went through there and he took one bite out of every tomato. I want to tell you, I'm a giving guy, Brother Carney. I really am. I try to share the road with you people who want to use a little bit of my lane too. I don't holler and honk and scream. I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm easy to get along with. And I'd have gave him one. I would have gave him one. But he had to go take a bite of every one of them. It was the whole thing was spoiled. So I had a few other tomato plants there, so I took the big old thing. I mean, I didn't know how to kill him. You know, he's just kind of huge. He was fatter around as my thumb, and I didn't want to step on it. Can you imagine the noise? You know, cockroaches are bad. Can you imagine how bad it would have been if you stepped on one of them? It had been all over my shoe. And so I said, I'm just going to take this. And so I walked over to We had a big old cliff over there, Dad, by the swing. You know, I, and I took him over there, and I just kind of, ooh, I just flung him. Got rid of him. Took care of him. Good. So one plant down, five were still good. So we're good. Next morning, I come out. Not only was Rupert back, but he brought some friends. I look out there, over half of these things, over half of these things are just strip mined. I mean, the leaves are gone, the tomatoes gone, you know, just, he just wiped out my whole crop for that year. We had to buy salsa and spaghetti sauce that year, you know, but we still went to Disney World. I'll tell you what I did, I'll tell you what I did. You may laugh, I'm going to tell you the God's truth. I was tired of old Rupert and his friends, that's what we named him. And I just didn't want to go out there with a baseball bat. You know, that's kind of savage. We're a little bit more civilized than that. So, Brother Brandon, I went and got my BB gun. Face paint, camo. No, not really. I I gave him about 12 feet. And I'm sitting there with my BB gun. (laughs) Falling off. The ants feasted that day. Carnage, bodies everywhere. And here's what I want you to understand. We just look at the little tomato worms in our life, the cyruses in our life, no big deal. I don't have to deal with that. All the while, Cyrus is digging underneath your wall. And he's closer than you think he is. Belshazzar's living it up, thinking he's A-OK, thinking the walls are impenetrable and having a feast. He's disregarding God. He's delaying any concern about little old Cyrus. Meanwhile, the river level of Euphrates is dropping. And slowly but surely, Cyrus is about to come underneath the wall. Proverbs 6, 9, the Bible says, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? I love it when God's not politically correct. Sometimes I'm not politically correct, and I just say that I get it from my father because he's not politically correct either. Verse 9, Proverbs chapter 6, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Listen close. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come. Little by little 
by little. Now, can I tell you something this morning, folks? I don't know what it will take for you to be concerned, but sooner or later, you will be concerned. You will. Look at King Cyrus, I mean, King Belshazzar in verse 6, real quickly, and I'll give you the last thing. The Bible says, then the king's countenance was changed. Can I ask you this morning, what is it going to take to change your attitude? What will it take? Is it going to take your kingdom and your life being overthrown? You know, the Bible says that, uh, in, in Luke 23, we read a moment ago, the Bible says that they lived it up until. They lived it up until, and the Bible says they were all carried away. Are you going to have to have all of your life carried away before you change your attitude to the things of God? Verse 6 says, the Bible says his thoughts were troubled in him. How long is it going to take before you change your mind? God was going to change his mind through a king named Cyrus. And what's interesting, verse 6, I have to bring this out. The end of verse number 6, it says this, And his knees smote one against another. I thought it fitting that finally old Cyrus's knees loosened up a little bit. You know, we, we just, we just uh, honored the 9-11 uh, events that happened in our country. Do you know what happened on that day? Those hijackers did not realize they were going to do this, but a byproduct of the attacks of September 11th were those attacks drove America to our knees. The attacks that happened in New York and the Pentagon and the field in Pennsylvania, those attacks loosened our knees a little bit and helped us to bow a knee before an almighty God. But it took that to do it. I preached at a church uh, almost at Alabama state line uh, the Sunday after September 11th, and the church houses all over this country were full. Why? Because finally God had allowed something to happen that loosened up our knees just a little bit. Can I ask you this morning, what is it going to take to loosen up our knees a little bit? To get us to bow a knee before Almighty God. To humble ourselves, as 2 Chronicles 7.14 says. It's sad, but we so often see ourselves in the people of the Bible that God does not want us to be like. You know, God has people like Jonathan in the Bible and Paul in the Bible and Joshua in the Bible that God wants us to follow their good example. But for some reason, we mimic more often the people that are the bad examples like Jonah. Well, Jonah went through all that he went through, and the Bible says this, then Jonah cried. Took a lot to get Jonah to bow a knee before Almighty God. I wonder what's going to have to swallow you up before you bow a knee before Almighty God. Can you imagine how bad it stunk inside of that whale? I just can't help but think about that. It had to have reeked. There's, look, there's no nightlights in there. I mean, can you imagine how low God's going to have to bring some folks and how stinking their life's going to have to get before they finally cry out to God? Folks, listen to me. You better not delay your concern for the things of God and the things you know that need to be taken care of because the enemy is slowly tunneling under your gate and you're on the doorstep of destruction. It may just be closer than you think. Last week I preached in chapel to our teenagers. Can I tell you, I love you, every one of you. They're scattered out today. I do love them because I tell them the truth. We preached on Abner the other day and we know how Abner died and Joab stuck him under the fifth rib. Do you know that just a few days before Joab killed Abner, that Abner had killed Joab's brother? Look, you kill my brother, I'm coming after you in a Christian way. I have a smile on my face when I'm shooting at you, but, you know, 
You kill my brother, or if I kill your brother, I'm staying away from you. And when David stood over the grave of Abner, David asked this question, died Abner as a fool. He died as a fool because he got too close to the enemy. The guy he had just killed his brother. What on earth was Abner thinking, thinking he could get that close? The Bible says he took a dagger out and stuck, stuck him under the fifth rib. I told him in chapel the other day that Abner got too close. But can I ask you this morning, what makes us think we can tolerate and overlook the enemies in our life and not be destroyed like Belshazzar? It's not going to happen. The last thing I want you to see real quickly, I know some of our folks have got to get to the hospital ministry in a minute, so if folks walk out, they're not mad, okay? Folks walk out, we have a 1230 hospital ministry they have to get to, so if they have to go, you folks go. The last thing I want you to see, look all the way over to verse number 19. Daniel comes in to interpret what's going on, or verse number 18. As Daniel begins to tell Belshazzar a little bit of history, He tells him, verse 17, 18, and 19, that your grandfather that came before you was lifted up in pride. Look at verse number 20. But when his heart was lifted up, his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took him, took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the wild beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. You know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. God humbled him, and he was out in the field eating the grass... As an animal, God humbled him finally. So why is Daniel telling Belshazzar this? Well, there's a really important reason. Verse number 21, he was driven from the sons of men. Watch verse 22. And thou his son, this is his grandson, thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart. Here's what God's saying. You saw what I did to your grandfather. You saw your grandfather get uplifted in pride, and I brought him down. In verse 22, hast not humbled thine heart. Look at the end of verse 22. That though thou knewest all this. Here's what Daniel is saying. The final step that leads us to the doorstep of destruction is this, deception of self. It's deception of self. The reason that God used Daniel to tell Belshazzar about Nebuchadnezzar is because he says, you knew what happened to him. You had an example. You knew what would happen if you got uplifted. God brought him down. And here's what Daniel is saying. What makes you think you're going to be any different? But somewhere along the line, Belshazzar has deceived himself. To think this, I will get away with it. If you're here this morning and you've seen people take the same path you've took away from God, disregarding God, delaying their concern, and you think, you know what? That happened to them. They were stupid. I'm smarter than that. God's going to remind you later when you fall that you had an example that you could follow. It's kind of like socialism in our country right now. Socialism is kind of a hot topic. It's amazing. Every generation, watch this, every generation discovers two amazing new truths. It's socialism and Calvinism. And they just rebrand it. To call it something. And here's what they say. Well, that was them. We're going to do socialism different. It's never worked. Ask Venezuela. It's never worked. But we're going to do socialism better. No, we're going to fall just like Nebuchadnezzar did. We have too many examples of how it's not going to work. And God says this, who do you think you are? He's looking at Belshazzar. Who do you think you are? 
to think that Nebuchadnezzar was prideful and I brought him down and you think you're going to beat me? Not at all. Not at all. Understand this, self-deception is one step away from self-destruction. Self-deception is one step away from self-destruction. Here's basically the meaning of that. You tell yourself a lie and then you believe it. It's not going to happen to me. Not going to happen to me. Almost as if Galatians 6 is not there. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. Can I tell you, oftentimes we think about other people deceiving us. I think the biggest deceiver in the lives of most Christians is the guy in the mirror. We lie to ourselves. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to walk with God. I don't have to go soul winning. And we lie to ourselves. Be not deceived. Even self-deception will bring you down. What does it go on to say? God is not mocked. Can I tell you what that simply means in Jeremiah Andrews English? God's going to be right. God's going to be right. The Bible says, he that soweth of the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You live in the flesh, you're going to reap the corruption of the flesh. The Bible says, he that soweth of the spirit shall reap what? Life everlasting. Try to prove God wrong and you'll prove him right in the end. So often we see Christians who think that they are going to be the exception to the rule. Can I tell you what this book is? This is a book full of Nebuchadnezzars. The Bible says, I want you to follow the example and see what happened to them. And don't you dare try what they did. Because you will follow in the same step. Who do, who do we think we are? We look at Belshazzar and say, this guy was clueless. He was out to lunch. He was on the doorstep of destruction because he had deceived himself. And yet, how often do we do the very same thing? The Holy Spirit of God convicts us about something and we allow ourselves to talk ourselves out of it because it's not going to apply to us. The Bible means what it says in James chapter 1 verse 15 that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Notice the emphatic statement that every man is tempted. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The Bible says when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth what? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God says, don't try me. Don't try me. I'm not going to be mocked. Sin brings forth death. There's no way on God's green earth that you can live out of the will of God and expect the blessings of God and not expect death in the end of it. This is what thus saith the Lord. Now, folks, I'm telling you this because I love you. And I'm telling you this because I don't want to see you fall as Belshazzar did because you overlooked the enemy that was right outside your wall through the deception of self. First week on the job as a pastor, I'll give you this and I'm done. First week on the job as a pastor, I got called to go to the hospital with a member. And I'll be honest with you, I was kind of excited about it. You know, it's kind of like, a, you know, becoming a policeman or something in your first high-speed chase. Well, this is kind of my first I get to go to the hospital. You, my dad, you just get to do that. And man, I want to go, I go, go to the hospitals and, and be with people. My first hospital visit went to the University of Jackson. Sat down there with an oncologist and one of our ladies. And he told her she had cancer. And he told her she was not going to make it. She had a seven-year-old little boy in our church. She looked like a picture of hell. She had been in my dad's church when my dad was there years ago. And she was one of those ladies who had one of the early conversion vans. Like a living room on wheels. Those were awesome. Had TVs in the car. I mean, amazing. This is a sweetheart of a lady. And the doctor just told her she's going to die. I was not prepared for that. 
There's no Bible college can prepare you for that, to hear the doctor say you're, you're not going to make. And, and boy, my, I just got chills up my spine. I'm looking over at her, and her daughter's crying, and her son is crying. Why? Because mom just got a death sentence. Not too long, six months later, she would go on to be with the Lord, and I would preach her funeral. And as sad as that is, can I tell you this morning that if you were living as Belshazzar lived, and you're delaying concern about the enemies you know that need to be taken care of. You're disregarding God. And this morning, you've gotten to the place in your life where you've even deceived yourself. It's not going to happen to me. Can I tell you, James 1.15, the Bible says, when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. I'm here to be the doctor to tell you you're going to die. And if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, you're going to die and you're going to hell. I know that's harsh. But that's the truth from the word of God. Can I tell you something this morning? It doesn't have to be that way. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're not 100% sure that if you died that you would go to heaven, can I tell you, you don't have to die and go to hell. The Bible tells us that God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and live, to die, to pay for our sin, listen close, and to defeat it. He defeated the enemies that are outside of your wall this morning. And you can have victory through Christ, but you must choose to accept him as your Savior. Or I hate to tell you, if you try to get around it as Belshazzar did, verse 30 is your obituary, and that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. One moment, Belshazzar's living it up. Next moment, it's all over. He had no clue that the enemy was right there at his gate. As Belshazzar's passing around the wine and drinking around out of the holy vessels of God, Cyrus is digging his trench. He tells the men, get on the horses, guys. We're about to go under the wall. We're about to bring mighty Babylon to its knees. In one moment, Belshazzar's living it up, and the next moment he's dead. Can I ask you this morning, what if the end is closer than you think? You're living it up now, disregarding God. Not now, not today, not today, not today. You're delaying any concern of things you know you should be concerned about, and you've gotten to the place where you've deceived yourself. Can I ask you, what if the end is closer than you think? What if Cyrus is about to come underneath your wall, and it's all going to be over? I'll tell you how it'll happen. It'll happen because you disregarded God for the last time. What if today is the last shot you got to say yes to God? Belshazzar had no idea this was his last shot, and he blew it by disregarding God. What if today is the last chance that you have to deal with what you know that you need to deal with that's concerning you? What if today is the last shot you got? What if today is the last chance you're going to have to delay or meet destruction? What if today is the last chance you have to realize the word of God applies to you just like it did to everybody else? July, two years ago, I preached on a Sunday morning. One of our good men, Brother David Lockhart, sat right up here on the front row. Preached the message, went well, shook his hand. I said, Brother David, where are you going? Uh, after church, going out to eat? Nope, I'm going to take my airplane up. We'll fly around Lake Darbon. And he's a pilot, very good pilot, commercial pilot, flew for uh, CEOs and all of this. And so that night, got ready for church, family come walking in, his family comes walking in, and I preached. At the end of the service, back door on the right, door flies open. It's for the David Lockhart's son. 
He says, he says where's Mark? That's his brother. I said, he's right up here. He said, I got to talk to Mark now. He came in, they began to talk, and we could tell something was wrong, and they, they took off. And his dad never came home. We began to get reports over the airwaves from the policemen there and the, and, the, and the internet and the news that a plane had gone down in Lake Darbone. We were praying that maybe it was not him, but we all stayed at the church and prayed together. Just a little while later, we received the call from the sons who went to the lake. They recovered the body of their dad. I had to go in my office and tell the daughter-in-law and the granddaughter that Mr. David had gone on to heaven just a few hours earlier. I shook his hand. said, I'll see you later. Had no idea that he was moments away from disaster. He's a good man. His testimony is in heaven today. But can I tell you, none of us are assured that we're going to walk out of those doors and never walk back in. I may shake your hand for the last time today. I'd love to be able to preach your funeral, tell them you're in heaven, if it is. Can I ask you, what if the end was closer than you think? Can I ask you a question, Christian? What if the end's closer than you think? What if the trump of God's about to sound? How motivated are you for the things of God? The end may be closer than you think. Yesterday, I was out door knocking. I was out soul winging in the apartment complex right over here. I looked over on the top floor. There's two Jehovah's Witnesses, man, pounding the doors. Hmm. Didn't have a whole lot of other Baptists out there, but man, the Jehovah's Witnesses were getting after it. I wonder if they may not believe he's coming back more than we do. Folks, we have no time to delay. Some of you this morning may be on the doorstep of destruction. If I was you, I'd take a step back before I took a step forward. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand together.